Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I have a fun episode today. It's a bit different from what we usually do. I've got my friend Tasha McNerney on, and she wants to talk about actually letting our technicians do what they are learning to do and what they have been trained to do. If you come back with new knowledge, ideas, expertise, skills that you want to break out and put to good use for the benefits of pets, how do you get doctors to let you do it if you're the sports staff? That's what we get into today. And so without further ado, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Tasha McNerney, thanks for coming back. No problem. Thanks for having me again. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I've got one I want to talk with you a little bit about today. Uh, I've seen you lecture many, many, many times. You and I have lectured together. We did what Hall and Oates has taught us about vet medicine. That was which a good one. Was a classic, an all-time classic that only people in their 30s and 40s came to. Uh, but <laughs> really, really great. I don't did know. that. I feel like there were some confused 19-year-olds in that audience. <laughs> they were like, "I thought this was a horse talk. What's going on?" Uh, like, um, <laughs> so every. Every time that I see you talk, you 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 lay down these amazing pain management things, and then and then at the end you say, "Does anybody have any questions?" And seven hands go up, and you call on one of them, and the person says, "How do I get my doctors to do this?" Or "How do I get my doctors to let me do this?" And then all seven hands go back down because that was the question they all had. So I thought that you and I could just get on today. And just and talk through that process. So uh, we have a lot of technicians that listen. We have a lot of doctors that hear things on this podcast. And they're like, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can actually pull the trigger and do this. So I want to talk about that. Let's just say that you have some technicians that have come and learned how to do epidurals from you. And they want to take this back to their practice, but they are concerned about getting their practice on board with the process. What advice do you have for them? Let's start with epidurals, first of all. You do recommend a lot of epidurals, and that's not what this episode is about, but let's just let's just unpack it for a moment. Give me your philosophy on epidurals and when epidurals might be useful, just so everybody knows what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. We do a ton of epidurals. Now, granted, I do work for a specialty and referral hospital with three different surgeons and two anesthesiologists. But before, when I worked in private practice and I was kind of ramping up to go get my VTS, we started doing epidurals for all of our cesarean section patients, for our hind limb amputation patients, for, you know, if we were doing an external fixator, a broken bone. Um, sometimes even for really bad cystotomy patients, we would do an epidural. So there are a lot of times that we can utilize the epidural as a really nice analgesic technique or a MAC reducing technique. So I don't think that, you know, to say that it's only done at specialty or university, I think that private practices can be utilizing this for you know, really little investment on their part and a huge amount of gain. So epidurals are fantastic. And it's a really good example because I have literally led local block wet labs or epidural wet labs and then got emails from the students a couple weeks later saying mm, my doctor's not sure they're nervous about changing things up and you know how do I get them to change and utilize this technique 
unfortunately, I'm not a doctor, so I can't, you know, I can't really, I, I, I can empathize to a certain point, but I can't empathize all the way because I haven't had that experience. You know, I haven't lived the same experience that you guys have. So sure. it's kind of cool because, you know, maybe we can ask you from a doctor perspective as well, kind of like, you know, what's up? How do we get things going? My yeah. first thing that I do tell them, though, is that if they, if the doctor sent them to a CE to learn these techniques, you're on a good path. Like mm -hmm. if your doctor's already interested in getting you extra education, then that is kind of a good jumping off point. And you can say, hey, you remember that lab you sent me to? Here's what I learned. Here's how it can benefit our practice. Because sometimes the reason that people are resistant to change is because they just don't understand the reward that they're gonna get, right? They sure. don't perceive that there's anything in it for them. But if you can go to them and say, here are the reasons why this will benefit us and our patients, there might be more buy-in. I completely agree. So whenever we're trying to get the team on board with anything, the why is the most important thing, right? Like, why do we wanna do this? And I think oftentimes we don't get that right. And so the technicians will come back from training and come up to me and say, hey, Dr. Rourke, I learned this thing and I learned it, so we want to do it. And I'm like, that's not a good reason for us to do this thing, mm -hmm. right? Just because I, I learned a lot of things, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that that's what they want to do. We need to have a, a more fleshed out conversation about, about why. One of the big things for me in, in when I was advise people and going back to their team or talking to their team or talking to their doctors is like, one, what is the why? But what is the why for that person? You know what I mean? On the other side, who is the doctor that you're talking to? And so, you know, I often find that, that there's three kinds of vets. There are vets that are sort of financially motivated who want to want to earn an income. Uh, there are vets that put the patient's care, like standard of care, above all else. And then there's the simple vets that just want, they want to go home at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't want a bunch of extra headaches. They don't want people to get mad at them. They just want to run smoothly and they want to get out on time, right? And, and not, not bad. And everybody's sort of a mixture of those three things. But those are really often the, the things. Think about the vet that you're talking to and which of those three things do they fall into and then tailor it to that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, if you've got someone who's, who's very much that simple vet, then uh, like, like simplicity things like get things done – the risky run is that this seems like another thing to have to do and, you know, and I'm gonna have to figure it out and are they going to be slower to recover? And those are the things you're going to want to address. If it's the, the finance vet, you need to say, Hey, this is good for the financial health of our practice. And this is how it's going to be good, you know? And, and then the patient care, like, I think those are the easiest ones to argue uh, in this case and just say, look, right. this is what it is and try to get them to buy into it. The other, the other piece of advice I, I really like to give a lot is think about a time in your practice that somebody wanted to do something and they actually got to do it. What happened? And I think a lot of times there's your answer about what it means to get things done, you know? Yeah, and certainly when you look at maybe not epidurals specifically, but just trying new things and learning and growing with new techniques, I mean, that's one of the huge motivators that we have found in the field of veterinary technology. Like mm -hmm. having a job or a boss or practice manager that wants to see you grow and is motivated to send you to CE and wants to see you become kind of like bigger and better and more, that's really motivating. I mean, none of us technicians went to school uh, just to, you know, stock the three ML syringes in the drawer. I mean, obviously yeah. that needs to be done, but we're, we want to do more. We want to use our brain, right? Like I want you to come to me if you need 
if you need a CRI and you're like, hey, calculate that CRI for me. Or yeah, let's, you know, I want you to take on epidurals and we're going to do the first couple of them together and then you can fly on your own. I'm like, we want to do more things. One, one of the reasons I see us losing a lot of technicians is boredom. I, I feel like once your technicians, especially your smart, like really motivated techs, once they plateau, there's a timer that's ticking down before they get bored. And if you're not finding new ways to challenge them or let them do new new things, it, it's really just a matter of time before they go, I'm bored here. And and it, it's funny that people don't say that or, or they may not even recognize it as boredom. They're just unfulfilled or they're looking for something else or the grass is greener on the other side or whatever reasons. But they they do tend to leave. And I think a lot of people, they don't they don't necessarily feel that pressure of I have to keep growing this person. It doesn't have to be a full time. Let's let's have Tasha do something new every single day. But it does have to be a steady progression where people get to do new things and, and, and feel challenged. So, yeah, I, I think. I think that's that's a big thing. I think that making vets feel safe is a really big thing, right? So as the veterinarian, I'm looking at this epidural, and of course I have these terrible thoughts of like the dog being paralyzed, you know, forever. Like this dog came for a C-section and now she's paralyzed, and you know, um, yeah. I mean, those are those are sort of the thoughts that as the vet have. So one of the, one of the big pieces of advice for me is try to figure out how to bring this stuff back in a very safe way. And a, a lot of times what that means, there's a couple of things that I mean when I say make it safe, right? A lot of times the technicians will go out and you, and, and you learn these new tips and tricks and things like that. And you want to come back and do them. And if that's a bridge too far, if that's not going to happen, then the goal may be to say, this is awesome. Let me come back and then try to get some training that we do together. And I find that a lot of times when real change gets made, it's because the doctors and the techs have done this together. You know what I mean? Or, or multiple doctors have looked at it together so they feel like they have the support group among themselves of like, okay, I understand what I'm doing. And so a lot of times there may be an extra step of not just go get trained and come back and do it. It may be go get trained, get fired up, bring that knowledge back, inspire or facilitate that training or training like it to happen at the practice level where everybody sees it together and then go on to actually doing it. And so that extra step can, can bring that safety in. And the last extra step is, I still wouldn't go from the whole team training to, let's do this every time. <laughs> you go from, let's do this once. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let's, or, and I, I don't like once because what happens is the first time you do something is always stressful and it's not going to be perfect because it's your first time doing it. Let's, let's do this for a couple of weeks. You know, let's try it for three weeks. Let's try it until the first of the year. We'll go from now until January one and we'll just try it. And that just lowers the stakes because then the doctors aren't like, oh crap, this is forever. And if I don't like it, then I'm going to be stuck with it. It's like, nope, you're not going to be stuck with it. Let's just do this for long enough that we, that we can feel like we actually know what we're doing. But then we'll reassess. And that it's amazing how that open door of like, let's do this for a certain time and then let's reassess. That just lowers everybody's stress level. You know, you're like, if this is awful, we'll do it for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to say it's awful and then we'll stop. And it's not going to be awful. It's going to be fine. Everybody just needs to relax and give it a chance. And that's really what I'm working for. Yeah, I mean, you know, change in any respect is hard, and we just as humans don't love change. You know, we fear the unknown, and you know, our I think we're always thinking about the bad things that could possibly happen. And that one, you know, colleague that you know who told you that story about you know the time that they tried something new and the building went up in flames. So yeah, of course. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. But I think that that's a really good having the team on board and kind of saying we're all in this together. We're going to try it for thirty days come up with our collective experiences and then reevaluate is a perfect way to go. 
Yeah, that that's awesome. Cool, man. Well, thanks for talking this through with me. Like I, I hear I hear it all the time. You know, one of the things, especially in pain management, like you deal with this more than anybody else that I know. It's just we're making such advancements in pain management and in anesthesia, and it, it can be hard to keep up with. And it's real comfortable. This is the, this is the center of pe- preaching the sermon. It's really comfortable to come up with a cocktail that you like that works well. You know what I mean? That you feel very comfortable with, and be like, nobody mess with my stuff. This is how we do it. I know how to do it. I've done it a hundred times this way. You know what I mean? It, it really does take some grit to say, okay, we are going to leave behind the, the you know the known waters mm-hmm. and go into this new area because the possibilities there are greater and you know and the and the science is leading us that way. And you you put your finger right on at the very beginning. I think it's a great place to end. Is it's about empathy. It's about, you know, it's about people feeling safe. It's uh, it's always scary to try new things, especially when we're talking about patient care, especially when we're talking about anesthesia and pain control and things like that. Patience and kindness and compassion while still applying some pressure to go forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that that's the combination that, that really makes it is make everybody feel safe. But but don't settle for the standard of we're you know we're not going to improve anymore. We're going to keep doing things the way that we've always done them. I, I think that's a a, th- a fine line to walk. But I do think therein is the answer. Yeah, and just remember that you're never alone. You know, the veterinary community has your back, and especially us anesthesia nerds. Like, if you are a technician and you want help, contact a local VTS and anesthesia. They will come out to your clinic often and do in-person training. The local anesthesiologists at the colleges are happy to field questions from you and they do it all the time. So don't feel like you have to make any of these decisions or anything alone. Yeah, and and going further than that, uh, you said uh, you're not alone uh, because of fellow anesthesia nerds. Talk, talk a little bit about uh, about the anesthesia nerds group that you run. Oh. And I mean, because honestly, that's that's a that's not to be discounted. Like the fact that you have this huge group that's always talking about anesthesia and pain management and will answer questions and is constantly just walking through exactly these types of things. That's a fantastic resource for not feeling like you're alone and for getting real live feedback on ideas and experiences that are positive because you're you put you just nailed it earlier. We're like, oh, that one vet that said, oh, this one time I did this thing and it was terrible. That just sticks to people unless you have other people who say, look, this is what we do in our practice. It's not theoretical it's not you know something that only happens in uh, academia we do this in our practice it works great here's how we do it here's why we do it like that can be the most powerful thing in getting other people on board so uh so can you tell us a little bit more about anesthesia nerds yeah real quick um anesthesia nerds is a group that i formed um it's just a facebook group but we have grown to like over fifty thousand members around the world and we have people posting from all over asking anesthesia questions and running through case scenarios and you know we talk about different drugs that are coming out and on the horizon and maybe different techniques and modalities we talk about anything anesthesia and pain management related we talk about anesthesia or pain management ce that might be available and out there and we even give job opportunity we will do job postings if the posting is in anesthesia and pain management career so i am a self-admitted huge anesthesia nerd i love i think it's just such a fascinating area of study and i think that 
what's really fascinating, like any science, is that it's constantly evolving. You know, back when I started in veterinary medicine, I worked for a veterinarian. Again, they were a farm vet in rural Michigan. So we didn't do any local blocks for TPLO surgeries. We masked patients down. We were doing the best that we can, you know, and I was 16 years old at my first vet job, and I just thought that that was normal. But Mm -hmm. as I heard from other people's experiences, as I got more education, you know, as you know better, you do better. So Mm -hmm. I started to do better. And I thought, I want to see what other people are doing. And so it's really cool to talk to somebody who might be in Sweden and they're utilizing this technique or somebody who might be in, you know, we've had people who are in, you know, they're in Africa. They're literally doing it bare bones style, but they're interested in knowing how can I provide the best experience for this patient knowing I only have these two drugs on the shelf. And then there's a conversation going. So I think as a community, veterinary medicine is fantastic in that we do want to take care of each other. And obviously veterinary medicine has its problems and its burnout and all that stuff like all the other you know, any other career that's out there. But for the most part, as far as a community goes, you want to make sure that you are doing some really kick-ass anesthesia and pain management, and we'll help you get there. Yeah, the group is open to uh, any veterinary professionals. Any veterinary professionals. You can find it searching Anesthesia Nerds on Facebook. Yes. Cool. Thanks, Tasha. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. That's what we got for you today. I always enjoy Tasha McNerney. I think she's doing wonderful things for technicians everywhere, and I definitely want to support that. And I think the question of how do we convince doctors to let technicians practice to their degree, I, I think that's a great question. It's something that our profession is wrestling with, and so I was really glad to get to talk about this today. Guys, if you enjoyed the episode, do me a favor. Uh, leave me an honest podcast review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast that does reviews. It really does mean a lot. It helps people find the show. It gives us some, some good feedback and encouragement. I just looked today, and there was a new, nice, wonderful review of the podcast, and it lifted my spirits and made me excited to jump in here and do some more of these episodes. So, take care. Be well. Have a great holiday and a great rest of your year. I'll see you on the other side. Bye.